Have you ever had the experience that life is flying by you at lightning speed and you're just an observer? The year's already over halfway done. You're not really sure what you've even done for the past six months. You just kind of feel like you're along for the ride. But what if there was a daily practice that helped you grow and your ability to focus, to be grateful, and to be present? That and more is what we're diving into in this episode of the Letters to Women podcast. This isn't a podcast where we talk about the one right way to be a Catholic woman, and it's not a show where I sit down with other women and we share a set of expectations for Catholic women today that leave you feeling left out or out of place. Instead, you're going to find conversations with women in a variety of seasons of life and hear about how they are living out their own unique feminine genius. And these are all offered as encouragement for you to discover more about who you are and how you're called to live out that feminine genius too. My name is Chloe Langer and I'm a Catholic wife and mom living here in Kansas City. I'm coming to you from the basement recording studio. Joseph and the girls and the dog are all upstairs and I love rounding out the evenings with a good conversation about one of my favorite topics, the feminine genius, and being able to share those conversations with you. In this episode of Letters to Women, I'm sitting down with Tish Oxenrider. I love Tish. Her writing is absolutely fantastic. Her podcast, A Drink with a Friend, is one of the few that I listen to on long drives or as I work through mountains of laundry. And she's just written a new book called First Light and Even Tide, which is a daily gratitude journal. And when you open up the cover, she guides you through a short, twice daily thought exercise to help you better focus on gratitude, grace, and greater truth. So if you are looking for a thoughtful way to bookend your day and you wish someone would just take you by the hand and help you navigate some of life's uncertainty, sister, this letter is for you. Today's episode of the Letters to Women podcast is sponsored by Sacred Heart Tea Company. There's so many little traditions that we have around here at the Langer House that revolve around tea. Joseph and I will make mugs of tea as we wind down for the evening after putting toddlers down for the night. I love sitting down with Maven Ada for little tea parties on summer rainy afternoons. Sacred Heart Tea Company creates loose leaf teas based on the lives of the saints. So not only is it the perfect addition to your evening or morning routine, it also is a chance to learn about the saints and their stories. Their tea features green, black, and herbal teas as well as caffeine-free teas for the those evening routines. And if you don't know where to start, check out their Communion of Saints sampler, which features sample sizes of all their teas. Find out more at sacredhearttea.com and use the code LETTERS to get 10% off your purchase at checkout. That's sacredhearttea.com with the code LETTERS for 10% off. Today, I'm excited to invite Tish Oxenreiter to the podcast. Tish is the author of several nonfiction books, including At Home in the World, Shadow and Light, and Bitter and Sweet, a longtime podcaster. She currently co-hosts the show A Drink with a Friend and writes the popular Substack newsletter, The Commonplace. Her other hats include travel guide, high school English teacher, and mother to two teens and a tween. Tish is currently writing her first novel from her backyard, trailer turned office in a small town north of Austin, Texas. Tish, welcome to Letters to Women. It's so much fun to sit down and share a cup of coffee with you this morning. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And you just, you saying that made me realize, oh, I need to update my website because my youngest just turned 13, oh, like a week ago. Oh, three te- three <laughs> so now I have three teens in the house. Yeah. <laughs> That's so exciting. In my mind, I'm picturing this trailer turned office and it just sounds so lovely. Well, I will say I'm looking at it right now because this is, you and I are talking during like the dystopian scorched earth time of Texas. <laughs> And so it's too hot to be in there. And I pine, I pine for it. But no, I'm in my, my dumb old house with air conditioning. (laughs) Come autumn. It's going to be great. It will. It will. Yeah, for sure. So today we're going to be talking about you, this beautiful brand new book, and we're going to be talking about the importance of a daily examine and gratitude and social media and building good habits. But first, and especially for listeners who are meeting you for the first time, Tish, can you tell me a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? Yeah, I mean, this would be a three-part series if I really unpacked all the the details. So I will spare people that and just say, I am, am a lifelong, I grew up evangelical. I was evangelical for 
gosh, 30, almost 40 years. So I'm, I'm almost 46 now. And um, yeah, so I grew up in a great Christian home, you know, went to a Bible church pretty much through my senior year of high school. I learned the Bible really well. So for that, I am grateful. And then went off to college, blah, blah, blah. I ended up going on the mission field after, uh, after college. And that's where I met my husband. Uh, so Kyle and I met on the field. I was, and um, we were both in Kosovo. Anyway, we ended up getting married, had a baby, and then went back on the field this time to Turkey. So we lived in Turkey for a while. Health reasons brought us back. Long, you know, fast forward to more kids. So three kids and um, realizing we are going to be stateside for the foreseeable future. We both had jobs that we could do from anywhere. You know, during the time we lived in Turkey, I um, started a blog out of a reaction to depression. I met with a, a therapist and he suggested I find some sort of creative outlet that I could do. And um, Kyle, you know, said, you've always liked to write. Why not start one of these, you know, blog things? And I, I had one at the time for the grandparents, you know, posting photos. This is before social media. So this is how you posted photos of your kids. So I had one, but I didn't have like one that I actually like cared about, you know, in terms of what I said. So I started it. And I think the, the easy way to explain it is just God put it there, the right time, right place, right audience, you know? So this, we're talking the era when blogs are taking off and it found an audience because not many people were writing about the topic I was writing about, believe it or not, which was simple living and minimalism and stuff, but from a woman's perspective, not like from a, a bro with one mattress and three t-shirts, you know? That's how my writing stuff took off. And I didn't even know, I, I basically accidentally started a whole thing for me. So. Anyway, by the time we were stateside, my husband and I worked together and we um, decided one year to world school. So we took our kids with us and we backpacked around the world. And I will say this whole time, honestly, from Kosovo and on, but like God was dropping little nuggets and um, asking me to kind of scratch that itch of my love of history. You know, what is it that I really loved about Turkey? And that was the fact that we were living on top of 20 civilizations. It was the birthplace, not the birthplace of the church, but in many ways where the church really grew in the time of St. Paul. We lived an hour from Ephesus. I was really intrigued by the idea of like, what does it mean to be really a Christian and how much of what I grew up with was just very, very cultural. Like basically, could I separate orthodoxy from kind of American 20th, 21st century? Christianese kind of stuff, you know? And so coming back to the States, really, I started to unpack all that, you know? Um, we were still evangelical at the time, and I was going, we were going to churches that made sense on paper, or I guess on website, but never felt at home, and we couldn't really figure out why, and we just, you know, chalked it up to cross-cultural, you know, like reverse culture shock, re-entry, um, all that stuff. We we found a church. We lived in Oregon for a while where Kyle's from. We went to a church that we, we loved the people, but we affectionately would say that it was a rock concert followed by a TED Talk. That's what church was, right? Like they literally had earplugs before you walked in if you needed them. <laughs> Log machine and all, you know, so we were, you know, I'm not saying those things aren't bad, but they, they didn't seem to be, the telos of church didn't seem to be fog machines and TED Talks, right? It seemed to be like, there's some other reason we are meeting other than just to make us, you know, convict us with, with truth, but maybe also make us just feel cozy and like, you know, it, culturally relevant. Um, so we became Anglican, long story short. You know, we had a number of friends who had returned from the mission field. It seems to be a trend. People in our like demographic and, you know, so many of us that were raised with a missions mindset from our youth group days and for which I'm very grateful for. I will completely own to that. And I think Anglicanism felt like safe Catholicism. 
is what I say now, looking backwards, right? It was a thing you could tell your parents and they wouldn't put you on their prayer list, you know, of concern. And it was a place that, well, there's literally a thing in Anglicanism called the Via Media, the middle way. And so they will even draw kind of what looks like a compass, north, south, east, west, and they're in the middle. And they'll say like, here, over here is evangelicalism. Here's Catholicism. Here, here we are, you know? And um, so it just felt like this, looking back, I can say it was kind of a waiting room, you know, you know, mixing metaphors, but some kind of on-ramp to the Catholic church. Uh, not to make this all about that. Um, it was during, I had long started looking into the Catholic church. I had friends that were becoming Catholic, um, very Catholic curious friends, kind of almost under the radar. Like, we're not going to say this online, you know, like Seth and a few other people, my co-host Seth. But it was during COVID when basically everything shut down and church went online everywhere that Kyle and I both said, like, we have the freedom now to really investigate this. So we did. And anyway, we became, we were confirmed in the church in February of 2021 through the ordinariate, the chair of St. Peter, that diocese, that is um, kind of that for Anglican, the Anglican communion, you know? Um, so here we are. Uh, we are loving every minute and have, I mean, it's been hard, but the peace has been unsurpassed and we finally are at home. And so that's our very... Very quick way of explaining how we became Catholic. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love following along with your writing because you unpack this a lot on in your newsletter, your Substack, and and following and along on your books and seeing you enter into the liturgy with fresh eyes. And as a cradle Catholic, it's just been so beautiful to see you experience these liturgies and these seasons of the, of the church and see them with with totally a totally new vantage point. So thanks for sharing along the journey too. Yeah, I almost feel like I have the best of both worlds. Honestly, like there are times when I miss. I I wish I had been either raised Catholic or we became Catholic earlier to raise our kids at an earlier age. But I'm also so grateful for so much of what Protestants do well and right and what I was formed in. And I can see so much of what Catholics can learn from Protestants, too. So I feel like I'm kind of lucky. I speak both languages. I, I understand both sides, even though I'm fully Catholic. Yeah. You recently wrote a new book called First Light and Eventide, and it's a daily gratitude journal. I would love to hear the origin story of this project and what a reader is going to find when they crack open the cover, which is beautiful, by the way. Gorgeous cover. Thank you. Yeah, they did a great job. My These publishers are great at what they've done with my previous books as well. So I'm grateful. I began practicing gratitude off and on living overseas, like, you know, first in Turkey, uh, really. But um, I, the practice as a habit didn't really take off until I would say um, on that round the world trip uh, that we took. It was when I realized, okay, I, no matter what is happening that day, no matter what is going on, there is always something I can be grateful for. And I just noticed that I was complaining a lot. I would just hear myself, you know, have you ever had it where like you're annoyed at yourself and you can't escape yourself? So you're like, where do I go? Um, I started realizing so much of what I was, I would get annoyed at about myself is just my lack of gratitude. I'm just expressing everything that I wish was different instead of recognizing what's right in front of me. And so I started practicing just a gratitude list. And then there's only so many times you can say coffee and you know, something really, I don't want to say, I mean, trust me, I still say coffee all the time, but I started recognizing, I need to get even more granular, yeah. you know, I need to get specific and you start, this is sort of a sacramental approach to gratitude. When you start lifting up the initial layer to see the thing beneath the thing where you can start being grateful for the tiniest little things in your life, this particular mug that I get to hold on this particular couch, you know, in this, on this particular day. It became a habit and I started getting more and more specific. And so I just started doing this thing where I would um, intentionally think of three things I was grateful for in the morning and then ending my day with gratitude as well. Three things I'm thankful for in the end. And it changed my, I mean, I'm not going to say like it cured everything. Life was so hard, but as someone who has struggled with depression off and on for 15 plus years, 
it is a game changer in that department, at least when it comes to like, these are the things I can control. You know, my my posture about my day is something I have, God has given me free will for. So that's, that is why I'm so passionate about all of us. And it's free. You know, it's not like, a, it's not a course. It's not a pilgrimage. It's not a thing. You can do it from literally anywhere. And, and so it's for everyone. Yeah. And you can just start immediately into it too. It's not like, oh, I'm yeah. going to ramp up to this. It's like, no, I'm thankful for three things immediately right now, right in this exactly. present moment. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I tell my kids that sometimes, like when I can just tell they're kind of like, eh, you know, we're on our, we're driving. I'll say, all right, everyone stop. We're going to go in a circle and three things we're grateful for one at a time. And it really helps. So yeah, it's for everyone. Yes. I love this idea too, of the examine and having that be a process at the beginning and the end of the day for a listener who's hearing this word examine or this idea of examining your day for the first time. Can you share what that is? And then how this Ignatian practice of examining your, your day has impacted your own interior life and how you relate to the Lord? Yeah. So I'm no expert, but I have done some reading and St. Ignatius is of Loyola was a um, basically former military soldier turned community leader, you know, and ended up founding the Jesuits in the, I think, 16th century, 15th century, one of those. He took his military mindset into this idea of a spiritual formation where there was a certain rigidity, a certain habitual, you do this and then this and then this, that he brought to his men for the purpose of interior formation. It wasn't for the purpose of control or a cult-like dogma. It was because we we crave routines and we crave scaffolding. You know, sometimes when our days just feel this like, oh, even when we have a long to-do list, we still crave scaffolding. Um, he, he created this process called examine, which for him was at the end of the day. And he had this list of, of ways he wanted his men to reflect on. Uh, many people have taken it and, and sort of molded it for their time period. But one of the best ways I've heard it described is simply reverse prayer. You're praying about your day that you just had is a way I think is just a really easy, oh, okay, I get what you're talking about. You're basically sitting, you're, you know, just parking yourself, you're, you're intentionally just being reflective, and you're thinking about where God was in the previous 24 hours, and you're recognizing it, and you're pointing it out, okay, there was God, there was God, there was God. And there are times, there are also ways you recognize, you know, when you responded to God's call, and so you're grateful for that. There are times when you recognize, I did not listen to God's call there, or I chose to deliberately ignore it, and you repent, and you, and then you vow to take with what you learn from the day and to bring it to the next day, you know, to both do better and to habituate good practices. So that's the easy way to describe it. Examine. I just added it as well to the beginning of my day and I call them bookends because I find I need it in the morning as well. In fact, sometimes even more in the morning because I'm just a morning person. So my brain works a little better, you know, at night I'm sort of like, you know, there are many times when I just fall asleep and that's just the reality, right? So um, it's a practice I do every morning and evening. I am also not an, an Ignatian expert, but I, I remember reading how he talked about how if you only do one, it's the gratitude piece. If, if all you mm -hmm. have left, it's just gratitude. So I love how this is the core of this journal for people to enter into and start that habit. That's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's something really exciting about getting a new book in the mail, a new journal, and just like the freshness and, and the potential that comes with that. But actually making time to sit down in the beginning and at the end of each day to review, to make resolutions, that can be really challenging. I think so many of us have had a new journal and we've gotten through like the first three pages and then we find it a year later. Like, oh, that sounded like a great idea. I could have right. could have done more with that. Do you have any advice for listeners when it comes to practically building the habit of a morning and evening bookend of gratitude? I'll be honest. The main reason I started this and what became this journal is for me because I needed that as well. I am all about creativity and going where the Lord leads and as the spirit moves, but sometimes we just need in a way, like we need to be told what to do. Like we want to be, a, you know, as adults, we want something leading us. 
Um, especially on those days when we just wake up and think like, you know, when we've got a million errands to run, all the babies that need us, we just, we want something to hold our hands. And so for me, I came up with a structure that was both thorough enough to really force me to just pause. It's not just like, okay, let me just quickly name three things as I run out the door. It's like, no, I need to sit here for five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. And then at the end of the day as well, but it's still realistic so that, you know, those of us who are not or the laity among, you know, the us ordinary folks who have just real lives can, can practice it. So I do three things in the morning, three things in the evening. And that's what this uh, journal helps people do. It's a literal walkthrough, you know, you turn the page and you do it again, but three things I'm grateful for in the morning. And then um, one thing, I name one thing that uh, would make the whole day a good one within my control. So, you know, I, I would practice this with my students, you know, as a high school teacher, and I'd tell them, we're not talking about things like if Mrs. Smith canceled the algebra test, that's not in your control, but it's that I spend that hour of free time studying for the algebra test, that kind of thing. And then um, one true thing. So we are bombarded by lies all day long, even when we're not aware of it. So claiming one true thing um, gets us going on the right foot. And I tell my students, I've told my, my um, kids this all the time, when you can't think of anything, just pick, I'm a beloved child of God, able to do hard things and trust in the goodness of Christ. So that's a, a sentence we memorize. So that is true all the time for all people. And then in the evening, it's naming three more things we're grateful for, followed by, this is kind of an equivalent of what Ignatius did, uh, a way we messed up, like what was not perfect about the day. And what's one thing we hope to take with us tomorrow? Like one thing we will do better, one thing we will do again, that kind of thing. So we are basically just winding down the day, recognizing that our days go with us day after day after day, but that we get a fresh start. God's mercies are new every morning and we get to close the book, go to sleep and wake up. And so this is just a thing I keep on my nightstand. It's, you know, basically I'm giving it to anyone who needs a little bit of that handling because it's been life changing for me. It's crazy too how in so many variety of different seasons that it can just feel like life's just kind of flinging past you. Like, whoa, it's been a week and I haven't sat down and prayed. And so just to have something where it's like, oh, day by day, there's the Lord. He's still here. Here's the things that I can control and what I'm grateful for and all of these things. And just to be able to enter into something and then have that take the look. I love how you describe like, it's just someone holding your hand. Like, here we are. We're going on this journey together. And you do, you do need someone to just say, sit down, do this. This is where to start. Yep. I, yeah, I think we all do. I love how you address the reader in your new book as fellow pilgrim. I love listening to you and Seth reflect on the transcendentals, truth, goodness, and beauty on your podcast and in your writing. What's it been like to encounter truth and goodness and beauty while leading pilgrimages to some of the greatest places on earth? And then also, do you have upcoming pilgrimages that listeners can join you on? Well, I'm so glad you asked me that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll answer the first thing first. Um, okay. So as you can tell, I love to travel just from my whole story. And so back in 2017, when I started brainstorming this idea of a trip that I then called Literary London, I got to thinking about how fun it would be to get to take people to these places I love so much. And the reason is because I find we are as embodied people, you know, we are physical people living in a physical world that yes, we can connect over here, like over the internet, like you and I are doing right now. And we can connect you know, just even in our ordinary coffee shops and errand running, but there is something special about unique places in the world. There just is. I love where I live. I don't, I, you know, our ordinary small town is one of my favorite places on earth, but there is also something that God has done in particular places that just matter. Um, both in kind of a secular quote history in terms of like great books, you know, where Charles Dickens sat and wrote things at this pub, that seat matters. 
but uh, so do just amazing events that happen in the life of the the church and in the people we now you know are grateful to you for forming us spiritually. And so I have found that there really is just something otherworldly about um, meaningful conversations in meaningful places. That's how I describe what a pilgrimage is. You go, you go somewhere to have a meaningful conversation in a meaningful place, both with other people, with God, and with yourself. I have found that because you know, we could stretch this metaphor out to just life being a journey, you know, just one step in front of the other, and that God often just clears the fog for the next paver in front of us, and then we just follow and trust that that tends to happen on on pilgrimages. You know, they're not, they don't go perfectly as planned. If anyone's ever traveled knows, that's just how it goes. Um, but you find yourself standing among, you know, the ruins of some ancient monastery or some cathedral or looking at some painting you've only up to then seen on books or on the internet. And you just find yourself very small in a big world. And you recognize your smallness in the story of God's history. To me, pilgrimages are an invitation for us to do that together. You know, we're meant to live in community. We're not meant to live alone. And I think a lot of us have that itch maybe in our early 20s, college years of like, I want to go find myself. I want to backpack. And I did that. I, I hopped the trains in Europe. I think many of us do that. But there is something really unique when we recognize I would better appreciate the statue of the David if I had a chance to have a cappuccino afterwards at the cafe with a group of friends and we talked about it. And so that's what pilgrimages allow us to do. And it tends to be, from my experience, with the most amazingly unexpected, like-minded kindred spirits. I would have never put the groups together that I've been able to put together. So we did Literary London for a few years and then led, went to Italy last year with all sorts of a hodgepodge of people, you know, age, life stage, perspective on life. And next week, actually a week and a few days from now, my family and I are leading one to Ireland. So we'll be in Ireland for 10 days. And then I just announced for summer 2024 that we're going to Greece. And that is also open to absolutely anybody and everybody. And it is, it's just the delight of my heart to lead people on these trips. It's so, so gratifying. I'm, yeah, I'm just so thankful that people want to come along and experience, you know, it, I feel like as a leader, all I'm doing is walking along the path of someone else and just pointing, like, look at that view. Look at that tree over there. Look at that, you know, whatever it is metaphorically and just getting to experience it with them. Not that I'm an expert. I'm just walking alongside everybody else. And so, and then I've got, I think we have three more in the pipeline after that. Like I've been, I just, I don't know when I'm allowed to say them, but basically, yeah, to mark your calendars for 2025 too, in both the summer and the winter. So we've got, we've got multiple trips planned. That's so good. And I think too, being able to tell someone, oh, you know, I loved this part of Greece or I love Ireland. Come with me, you know, like just come on the trip and being able to invite someone into something and then for the pilgrimage just to be able, again, like, like the book to be able to enter into something that's already set out that you can just come and exist alongside other people in the, on the journey too. Yeah. I mean, to kind of connect it with what I was saying earlier about becoming Catholic as a lifelong Protestant, one of the things I feel as a Catholic now is truly the fullness of the faith, like getting all of it, you know, the whole the whole shebang, including the, the gifts that the Protestant world gave me. Because so I, I just keep thinking about how like my Protestant brothers and sisters are missing out on this experience because it's for everyone. It truly is. And so to me, that's what pilgrimages are like too. Like this, the gift of, you know, just thinking next week where we'll be, the ancient Celtic church and their monastic practices and their prayers and, and their ways of looking at the world are for all of us not any one particular, they are for all of us to experience and learn from. And so that's what a pilgrimage does to me is it, it's an open invitation for all of us to learn from our shared collective history of wisdom. Tish, I could talk with you for another two hours, <laughs> but for listeners who want to keep the conversation going, where can they pick up a copy of First Light and Eventide 
Where can they find your podcast and connect with you through your newsletter? You write a lot about your conversion story. You write about Instagram, which was a topic I would love to dive into, but also <laughs> could have a four-hour conversation with you about. And your writing is beautiful on that. How can they connect with you and, and keep finding out more? The easy way to just say it is for everything, go to tishoxenreiner.com. And that's the place where you can find my Substack newsletter, The Commonplace, which is what you're talking about. That's where you can find all my books, the podcast, my past stuff. I have a class on creating your own rule of life. There's just, there's all sorts of things. Yes. You'll, you'll see my old lady, <laughs> you know, gripes about social media there. <laughs> you'll find it all. So um, yeah, tishoxenreiner.com. The, the challenge with that is that my name is spelled weird. So no, I weird last name. I apologize. <laughs> You can blame my parents and my ancestors. So. <laughs> They'll take the hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Tish, one last question for you. This is the question that every every guest answers on the show, and it's this one. How do you live out the feminine genius in your daily life? Well, the first thing that comes to mind, boots on the ground, my, my confirmation saint was Saint Monica. She's my favorite for a number of reasons, but one of which is I became Catholic while I was a parent to teenagers. And there is something really holy and sacred and challenging and, and brings you to your knees about parenting during this stage. So I have one daughter who is going off to college in a few weeks. And I, when I think about feminine genius, I think about modeling it for her, you know, or if I had other girls modeling it for my children, modeling it for my sons too, I suppose I should say. Um, and so to me, it's a lot of that daily living. It's a lot of not fighting the chaos of marriage, the chaos of family, the chaos of being a woman, um, and the, the broad talos of, of how God has made things to be, whether or not I believe them to be true or not, but also the, um, the unique gifts and charisms he's given each of us women in particular. So for me, that looks like saying yes to the things that God has gifted me with, which requires me to say no to 99% of what's out there. So in many ways, living out the feminine genius looks like knowing what's meant for you and what's meant for someone else. And I am saying that as though it's easy, it's simple, but it's not easy, right? And so it requires daily discernment, daily awareness of where God's leading in your life. So um, to me, it looks like a lot of ordinary listening to God, modeling it in my ordinary callings of caring for my family and then saying no and yes to the right things. Tish, thanks so much for coming on the show. This has been absolutely delightful. So good to sit down with you. Thank you for having me, Chloe. It's been so much fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Letters to Women podcast. You can check out the show notes for my conversation with Tish on my website, letterstowomenpodcast.com, or just scroll down in your podcast player for links to pick up a copy of First Light and Eventide, subscribe to Tish's newsletter, The Commonplace, and listen to an episode of Drink with a Friend, which Tish co-hosts with Seth Haynes. You'll also find out more about the pilgrimages that Tish has coming up. In the show notes, you'll also find a link to Sacred Heart Tea Company, the sponsor for today's episode. And finally, you'll find a link to sign up for my newsletter, Naptime Notes. Once a month, I share about the books that I'm reading to myself, to the girls, some braggable thrift store finds, or some favorite gifts that we've received from my Barnathan group, updates on our adoption journey, and podcasts that I'm listening to. Naptime Notes is always going to be free, but if you subscribe at $5 a month, you get early and ad-free access to all the Letters to Women podcast episodes before they go live. If you listen to the podcast, you love the conversations and guests of the show, please leave a rating and review, especially if you tune in via iTunes or Spotify. And if you know someone who would love to listen in on this conversation with Tish, please send it their way. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss any future episodes. If you ever want to share about a guest you'd love to see on the show or share your experience as a listener, you can always send me an email at letters to women at gmail.com. I'd love to connect with you. That's all I have for today's episode. So until next time, be not afraid.